listening to the Rotoscopers Podcast, Episode 19, Interview with Paranorman's David Vanderborg, plus fan mail. Welcome to the Rotoscopers Podcast, a podcast for animation addicts, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. And like we are your hosts... My name is Chelsea Robson. And I am Morgan Stradling. Today we are interviewing with David Vanderbort, and he works at Leica Studios. And I don't know if you guys have noticed there's this movie out there called Paranorman. He worked on the film doing storyboards and a million other things. So we are really lucky to have this interview with him. And also, at the very end of this episode, we are going to read through our mailbag. We've had lots of you write in, so just wait for the end of the episode, and we're going to get to those. But until then, let's just go straight to David's interview. Here we go. Today on the podcast, we have David Vanderbord. David's credits include, but are not limited to, Guitar Hero. Uh, he did a music video for The Fray called Heartless. He has done multiple commercials, including Honda and Captain Crunch, Lucky Charms, Nesquik, and Wonka Sweet Tarts. And most recently, he's in the movie business and doing the motion picture Paranorman. We'd love to start out the interview just kind of asking a, a few quick questions, you know, like within 30 seconds, it's kind of like fast question time. Uh, we're going to ask random questions that have absolutely to do with really not much <laughs> just to get to know you a little bit better is that okay sure sure all right what is the very first animated movie you remember seeing oh man <laughs> that's hard <laughs> i remember seeing um yeah it's got to be pinocchio i think nice <laughs> what's your favorite cartoon yeah. growing up favorite cartoon growing up on tv was probably Tiny Toons, to be honest. <laughs> oh, you, you and Chelsea will be best friends then. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> oh, man. What is your favorite animated movie? Yeah, that's even harder, man. Um, let's see. Favorite. I, you know, it, does it have to be one? No, <laughs> you could just name a big long list. You know, it might be the same answer, actually, as my first one, which was the first one I'd seen, which is Pinocchio. I mean, that still, to me, it's hard to top it in my mind, but I don't know if, it, if I'm just nostalgic or whatever. But it's, you know, that, Dumbo, uh, Secret of Moon, I love Triplets of Belleville. I love that there's this movie out of Japan called Mind Games, which blew my mind, and I love that movie. Yeah, I, you know, it's... All over the map. Uh, I love all the all the Disney movies from the from the forties and fifties. Basically, you know, that's really where I got my early inspiration from. And then in the nineties, of course, that was when I was like, okay, I'm doing this. So long answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Who is your favorite animator or artist? Favorite animator is James Baxter, with possibly uh, this guy. Uh, Dunk I love Duncan Majora Banks as well, um, just as a character actor. So those, those two are kind of up there. Obviously, Glenn Keane is great, um, but the personal kind of love I have, I have it. I got for James Baxter for sure. Nice. Uh, do you like Disney princes or princesses? I wouldn't say I have a preference for either. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I like the, the ones that are good. Classic animation or CGI? Oh, for sure, classic animation. And last one, who would win in a fight? Willy Wonka or Captain Crunch? 
Well, I got I got to lean towards the Captain Crunch because I drew that guy for about a year, <laughs> um, even though he is suspicious in how much he wants to be around little kids <laughs> um, and how old he is. But I got to run away and on the Captain Crunch side, he's got a, he's got a whole shit. <laughs> now, from some of our email conversations, you mentioned that you were a self-made animator. Like, how did you how did you get to where you are today? Well, it wasn't it wasn't fast. I'll say that uh, it was a slow slog, kind of up the ranks and up the studios, just through portfolios and stuff. And, and I gotta say, that's the one thing I, I really do miss, and I wish I would have gotten out of a out of going to school is the sort of quick connections that you get. Um, through a big school like Halifax or Sheridan. So I kind of had to just take the jobs wherever I could find them. And, and, and as you may know, it's, it's all about who you know. So it's, it would just be a, you know, I can trace my career back to just a chain of personal connections. I got started in CD-ROMs back in like 96. And when that was sort of the boom and went to Canada, went went to New York, went to uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, and just sort of chased work, really, all over the place for about 10 years. You know, finally, I landed kind of at Titmouse and was able to really develop my, my own stuff there a little bit. And that was, I think that was the ticket I needed to sort of get into a feature, get, get to feature level, um, which is definitely on another plane, you know, especially if you come from commercials or TV, it's sort of, they don't regard that necessarily as a entry qualification for features. So, so that, that was a, a major block of getting to the place where, because I always wanted to work on a feature film, that was always the goal. Um, but having not gone to school, it's sort of, there's certain expectations that make it hard. And also, you know, the whole industry kind of died in, in the 2000s, or at least for 2D animation. So that was the only place I had expertise. and. Yeah, it just was. It was a long slog, <laughs> but you made it. I mean, you know, Paranorman was my first film, so that, I'm I'm very proud that 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 got to be the first feature I ever worked on. It's an honor. So I have a question. You mentioned that you were working at, you know, um, doing commercials and stuff like that. What's the perception in the industry? You know, based. I mean, I know you got to start somewhere. You know, maybe if you're not working on a feature, how? Do you, you get the vibe that, you know, people are not necessarily looking down on you, but you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, well, they definitely kind of back to what I was saying that maybe, uh, com- you know, commercial experience doesn't necessarily look amazing to a recruiter who's who's on a feature production. Um, they, they, they do look at that as a step below, you know, uh, the feature level. They expect most, you know, most most recruiters at feature studios to go to the schools first. That's that's where they look for their their new talent, or they ask people around like, who do you know? That those are the two ways that they find people. But they they don't typically look to the commercial field for talent. So it is it's a river. Do most people have kind of the same ambitions of you of working on a feature length film? Is that I mean I know some people don't and like that's not what they want, but is that kind of like the general where people want to be? I worked at Cartoon Network, and there were plenty of people who were happy in TV and who really liked the sort of, you know, the frequency of telling the different stories, you know, and, like, you get to tell a bunch of little short stories. You know, there's there's definitely people who, who don't even necessarily want to get into feature. They're, they're happy in TV. I think it all depends on if there's a good studio that's fostering that kind of talent, you know, like Cartoon Network was that way. Uh, so So people like... Gandhi, Tartakovsky, and and who's the Foster's guy? Craig McCracken. You know they were 
they were happy in that realm because mm-hmm. it was giving them everything they wanted. But I think, you know, Cartoon Network when I was there was definitely not that lively of a place creatively. I was there working on a show called Megas XLR, which, you know, had one season and didn't, didn't get picked up again. But yeah, it's, I've, I've seen both, you know, people who, who want to want to jump up. And, and, and also who was there when I was there was Lou Romano, who, who definitely, um, you know, in a big way moved into feature. So uh-huh. it, it takes all kinds, you know. Cool. So what is your ultimate career goal? Um, that's, yeah, it's hard to say. I'd say it, it was to just be a feature animator. That was always the goal, and it still kind of is. I I've uh, been learning stop-motion animation because I'm at Leica, and, and I'm hoping that I will get a chance to do that. But, yeah, I, I love animation. I love to animate, and to me, that's the funnest part of the process, uh, even though I've done pretty much every other part of the process as well. You know, my current position is a story artist, but, I, I yeah, I love animation. So if I could just be a lead animator at, at a, on a feature production, that's, that's fine with me. You know, I'd, I'd love to get my chance to try to write a script or direct as well, but to me, that farther down the road. Yeah, I'm happy to just go as far as somebody will let me. <laughs> so um, you mentioned you're kind of getting into stop motion, and that's a question I've always had, because I, like, how do people kind of get into it? Because I know people kind of, when they're younger, get into animation through stop motion. But then maybe they go to school, and, and the schools don't teach stop motion for the most part, it seems. So, like, how does someone, like, move on or move into that? Is it just sort of you you have the background, and so you can you know the principles, and then you can apply it to stop motion? Yeah, that's exactly right. Going from 2D animation to stop motion was pretty intuitive. Like, when I when I picked up the puppet and, and started pushing it around, it, was, it felt pretty natural pretty quickly because I already had just a catalog of, tools in my head from from being a 2D animator. Um, so that helped a lot. It helped, it helped me get over the humps. I mean, either whatever tool you're using, you're always going to be learning those same principles. Um, mm-hmm. they, they really don't change for the medium. So, yeah, if you, if you some people learn it in CG, and those people, I believe, could totally apply it to, a, to stop motion as well, um, and vice versa. I think it's all kind of the same stuff. But, yeah, it is a bit of a smaller circle of people that do that mm-hmm. in, the, in the world, so it's, it's harder to break into, I think, on a professional level. It's getting more common, though, so there are getting to be a lot more places to, to get your foot in the door in stop motion. You know, it's, I think it's got a great future as far as being a, a really viable tool to make animation, even even on a budget, you know. Mm-hmm. Paranorman was not was not an expensive movie to make. So what's, like, the difference in how you approach animating uh, hand-drawn animation, stop-motion, or CGI? Well, it's definitely pretty different because, well, at least for stop-motion, at least you, you have to think in uh, straight-ahead kind of way. Uh, I'm sure you've heard those terms, straight-ahead animation as opposed to key-to-key. Key, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> so with stop-motion, you're sort of forced to do do straight ahead, which is has its own its, its own challenges. But with 2D, you have the challenge of actually drawing it, which is the whole other <laughs> thing that you have to think about when you're doing 2D. So there's there's trade offs to all of them. What, did that answer your question? Or yeah, totally. Yeah, it does. Because yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I think probably the easiest one to do is CG animation, just because it's so forgiving and you can really tweak things and change it and make it perfect. And yeah, I think that's the one that's gotten to be more kind of layman 
you know, like a, yeah. you notice in the, in the, the salaries just reflect that. I, I've been, I, I sometimes look at the wage surveys for the union and, and the, the salary for animator, like CG animator is way lower than I would have thought. Judging wow. from the animator salaries of the 2D animators from like the 90s, you know, the Disney 2D animator guys, it's like nothing close to that. So it just shows like from a business level, I think they see the CG animators being more like disposable yeah. now somehow. <laughs> yeah. When I, <laughs> yeah, when I was over, we were talking to some people over at De, uh, Destination D, and I met one of the guys in rendering or, you know, in CG, and he was just talking about that kind of same thing of how um, a lot of the times when one movie is done, they all just kind of get let go, and then they all move to somebody else, you know? So it's like yeah. they have the same circle, and you'll basically have all the same techniques, and uh, there's really no real shot forward in CG animation at the moment. Um, but so they'll just go from one company to the next, just finding the jobs kind of just like in normal movies. The VFX industry is cutthroat and I would not, I don't envy any CG animators in that industry because it's, it's like, it's just full of sharks, but you know, the Hollywood studios treat those VFX places like dirt and just try to underbid and underbid and underbid. And if you're an animator, who just works on that stuff, it's un- very unlikely you'll have a stable job, you know, that won't go away as soon as the job's over or whatever. So those places go out of business like crazy. So that is a much more precarious field, just the whole CG animator. Because uh, the other reason is there's just so many more people in it. I mean, the, by far the majority of animators are CG animators. It's just, a, it's just flooded. You know, whereas with stop motion, there's probably like 25 guys in the whole world who can who can really do it at the level that a feature like a Henry Selleck feature or like a feature would, would demand. So those guys just move around uh, from country to country. They're, they're like nomad, nomads of animation because they're, they're really rare and they can't be easily replaced. So they, they often are, uh, you know, they roll out the red carpet farm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry if I, if I get like off topic or meandering. Oh no, it's great. Cut me off. <laughs> no, these are great. So on to Paranorman. As I was watching the tail end of the credits, looking for your name, I saw that you were over the 2D faces. Now, what did that exactly entail? Well, it means drawing basically a template for for them to model off of um, and sort of use the drawings as the place where the directors make their notes. And then once once the the expressions are approved, then um, those drawings can be given to the modeling department um, to go off of. So it's sort of there is there's a step between the design and the modeling of the faces, which is kind of drawing drawing all the possible expressions that they, that they would ever make huh. uh, from all from all angles, you know, or at least from front, three quarter, and side. You know, it's, it's a very schematic kind of animation. Like, but usually I, I will just animate one line of dialogue, and and that will sort of give at least the starting place for all the mouth shapes and the eye shapes for the the RP department rapid prototype department to his model from in Maya. Wow. So how long have you been on the project? On Paranorman? Um, I was on that for for two years. I was hired right at the, right when they finished uh, the character design process, which was pretty early on. There were very few people in the building when I started, and then it just blew up to like 350 people or 400. So it was kind of, I felt as though I was kind of there from the start. Yeah, like on the ground floor on that one for sure. Yeah, That's really yeah. cool. So when yeah, you were... I was hired, 
you know, I was just hired. the reason I was hired originally it was only going to be for three months, and it was just they, you know, they had this amazing designer Heidi Smith who had uh, these wild drawings that they were they were trying to sculpt, um, and they had great success with with, with uh, Kent Melton. He was an amazing you know sculptor, um, but he was also just you know very busy. The cast was huge; it was probably 150 people, so. He uh, needed some, some extra hands, so I was hired to sort of just draw out the drawings from different angles so that he didn't have to necessarily explore that so much himself. It was sort of figured out for him. Um, so I was just drawing Heidi Smith's drawings, like turnarounds, basically, and that was just supposed to be about a three-month job, but I, uh, you know, I, I needed to hold on to it, and I loved the job, so I sort of pitched myself as other, to do other lots of other jobs, like like the facial animation one, and, and then eventually I got into the uh, the story department, which is great. You know, it's a very stable place to be. Cool. So you worked on the story then as well. Yep. Yeah, I was on the story for probably six or eight months, maybe. Of that. So what? Part- the tail end. Sorry, what was that? Oh, so what scenes were you a part of? Uh, the first scene that they gave me to storyboard was the scene of all the zombies coming out of the ground. Um, Norman going up into the graveyard and everything. So that was like, you know, I was very intimidated <laughs> to get that scene, but it was, <laughs> it was really great. Um, yeah, that's like one of the uh, main scenes right there. Yeah, yeah. It was, and I knew that it would be, you know, in trailers and stuff. So I, I, I just did a lot of research of, you know, great shots in other movies that, that I liked and that really spoke to the horror genre and all that. And then I also boarded the scene in the archives room when they're starting to get attacked by the people and the, and the, the buildings start catching on fire and all that. And the mob, that whole mob scene, I, I boarded that scene as well. Um, nice. But again, boarding is, you know, is a, it's definitely a collaborative process. You know, when I say I boarded it, I just mean I was the last person to board it, the one that finally made it in the movie. But um, it probably got storyboarded or every sequence get storyboarded probably three times by three different people for any given movie, which was new to me. I didn't know that when I started. I was like, wow, it's throwing away so much stuff and redoing it and redoing it. <laughs> when I came from TV, it was like your first your first pass is the one that goes because that's, that's all the time you have. You know, But in features, they really can just throw stuff out and start again. That's what I really like about working in features is, is that it's, you really are just going to, you're just going to find the best solution no matter how long it takes, which is that's luxury uh, that you don't have in, in commercials or, or TV. Awesome. Uh, without giving away any spoilers or anything like that, what were some of the fa- your favorite parts of the movie? Um, I love the opening where, you know, the family is set up and you, know, you meet his parents and how crappy they are. I, I love that part. <laughs> um, I love the, the ending, you know, the, the epic Aggie ending uh, and just how kind of off the rest of the movie it is, and and out of not out of the blue, but but definitely kind of a, a surprise. Yeah, I love the part where like the town is scarier than the zombies. I, I always thought that was funny. The townspeople were were worse and more gross <laughs> than dead people. <laughs> I, I'll definitely agree with the last one, the the tail end of the movie. I I thought that was really well done. 
I really enjoyed, you know, the the color scheme and just the whole mood changed and shifted so quickly and but almost seamlessly. So that was really cool. I hand it to you guys on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of I've read some reviews that say that it was seamless and others that that say, Oh, it can't you know, like, what was that? I don't wanna be preached to at the end of my zombie movie. <laughs> uh, but that's actually what I like about the movie, that it's not afraid to to just kind of go to real emotional places and and sort of take it a little more seriously than a lot of other animated studios would have taken that subject matter. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I think that's what Leica is trying is going to try to continue to do is if the words of Travis are any guide, it's, it's definitely they want to establish themselves as the place that makes those kinds of choices and those types of darker movies, which I'm all for. I've, I've, been, I've been looking for that in my whole career, which is, you know, that was one of the things I liked about working at Titmouse as well. It was just sort of throwing out that idea that animation is a kid's medium. Why did that get established? Yeah. You know, doesn't have to be at all. You also mentioned in the very the beginning scene is your favorite. One question I always, I had throughout the whole thing is how did you accomplish the ghosts? The ghosts? Yeah. They were done in CG. Um, okay. Yeah, that was all that's all CG. I mean, there's a lot of CG in the movie that you may not know is CG because they really tried to stick with the aesthetic uh-huh. of stop motion and, and hand-done materials and that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, yeah the, those ghosts were, were just modeled in Maya and then composited onto a real stop-motion background, and Norman was stop-motion in that scene. Yeah, I would have liked to see more of those ghosts, actually, in the rest of the movie, <laughs> now that I think about it. And there were at one point, but they, they decided to cut that part out, you know, one of those decisions. That just... That's something that I kind of noticed through the ending, uh, was that at... At one point in time, you start you're seeing all the ghosts and everything, but it kind of switches, I guess, to the townspeople's view, so they don't see the ghosts. But I was like, I wish that there were kind of had more ghosts at the end because I was like, oh, they were yeah. fun looking. <laughs> I know, I know, I, I I thought the same thing, and and I read I've read some people saying that on on the internet as well. But yeah, I think it, you know they wanted to focus on not you know is, is it a zombie movie or a ghost movie? And I yeah. think they didn't want to necessarily confuse the two at some point. They wanted to like just transition to a zombie movie and not not pack it full of of um, you know tropes and and yeah. uh, paranormal just ideas. From other, you know, it, it might have felt too packed. I think is maybe the, the reasoning behind it. And and you know maybe it was. You know, they de- they definitely were in there. Uh, I remember storyboarding a whole sequence where where Tim and, and Neil are in the town square and they're seeing all those same ghosts around them. That scene was in there. They just at some point decided to cut it all out. There was even a ghost in the graveyard that he goes right before he raised the dead that was sort of running away and warning him. But yeah, he got cut too. There's a, a lot, you know. You can kill off a dead guy even. <laughs> oh, cool. So I just have a few. We uh, we tweeted about this interview saying, hey, does anyone have any questions? Um, and uh, the Paranorman official site, they retweeted us. So now we have like a ton of questions. But I'll just ask you a few. So these are from okay. just random people on the Internet who mostly they're, they're interested in um, the making of a stop motion feature. So you can just be brief or short or whatever. So one person says, how about how long does it take to animate one scene? So I guess it depends on the scene, uh, but I have heard I've heard the number of that's expected from the animators as far as footage mm-hmm. is five to six seconds a week. Mm-hmm. So 
you can do the math uh, for how any given shot you had, and and that's you know that can be reshot sometimes. So, so yeah, you, you might even add to that number. So that's but it's a very very slow process. Yeah, significantly slower than hand drawn, right? Isn't hand drawn usually twenty seconds a week yeah, or something like hand, that? Hand drawn, you could you can do about ten seconds to 15, ten to twenty seconds a week is, is about the that's the, the limits of a two D animator. Uh, or the any studio would ever expect of, of you. <clears throat> I think CG is a little higher. You're maybe expected to do like something. I don't know. I've actually never worked on the CG feature, so I shouldn't mm-hmm. say. But yeah, I know that it's, it's around six seconds that the, the stop motion animators are, are expected to produce per week, and and they're often there all weekend too. So yeah, it's crazily tedious. Yeah, so you said you kind of have like dappled in it. How do you maintain like patience as you're doing it? Because I just I look at a scene sometimes and there's background characters, there's person talking. I mean, I just look at that. I get so overwhelmed. I'm glad it's not me. Yeah, well, it takes a certain kind of person. First of all, you know, animators already are are just in love with the minute qualities of motion, and so they're they're living in that at that speed is is totally entertaining, and and I know. I can speak from experience in, in getting lost in, in emotion like that. You just, you, you get into it somehow. And even that one second, if you get it, if you nail it just right, it, it, there's nothing like feeling as though you gave life to something, uh, even if it's just a drawing. Uh, that I think it's that feeling that, that animators all, uh, you know, appreciate more than the, the boredom that would come from that, what would you think would be that tedious process. Um, it, it actually doesn't feel tedious the animator because yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're obsessed in a way. They're, I think any animator is slightly obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess our last question is, how does it feel to see your work on the big screen? You know, because this is your first feature. You know, you've seen, yeah. you know, your work on TV and, and cartoons, but how did it feel when you saw it? It felt great um, to be a part of the whole part of it. So the whole film felt great. Um, I, I can't, it's, it's funny when I finally did see, you know, that, for instance, you know, the wall of posters, and I knew I had drawn all of that. You know, when you finally get to that moment, it's often normal, more normal than you would think, than you might have thought it would if you thought about that ever before. Um, so it kind of passed over me, and I, I was just lost in the, the thrill of watching the film itself. You know, I'm, I'm obviously proud to be a part of it and to be so be focused on uh, like that uh, certain parts of the movie. Um, but but really, it's, it's more of a team pride uh, that, I, that I feel, you know, that, that we kind of all did it and that, and that I was invited to be a part of something like that. That's, that's what I feel mostly is, is kind of this gratitude. And cool, you know, I, I hope definitely uh, I'm hungry for more, more of that. So last question, anything you want to plug, maybe like your personal website, your Twitter, a project or movie you're working on? I mean, we know what you've been working on. Yeah, not, not really, I guess. I, I, just Paranorman itself, you know, go go see Paranorman, uh, anybody who's listening. And, yeah, I have a website that's just my name, davidvandervoort.com, the work in progress. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's about it. I need to get a blog started. I, that's all my list of things to do. Go like a. <laughs> go like a. Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and being with us here today. My pleasure. We also are going to be having a contest. We were able to get some of the Paranorman swag to give away. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so we're excited to be able to help promote in any way we can. It was a good yeah, movie, and I'm, I'm 
glad to be able to talk to you today. Yeah, it's it's totally my pleasure, and and uh, you know, thanks for for doing your part to promote the film and, and support it and and feature it on your blog. It's really great of you guys, and and I hope the word spreads. Us too. Well, thank you. Thank you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, so Chelsea, that was really awesome, huh? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I'm, it got me really pumped to actually see the movie and, you know, to see it sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, I'm so excited for Leica. It's a really awesome studio, and I've been a fan since Coraline, so uh, I like the things that they're doing. Speaking of Leica, we actually are having a contest, a Paranorman contest, where we are giving away some swag. Uh, it includes slippers, as seen in the movie, a nightlight, a pair of toothbrushes, a keychain, and a Paranorman t-shirt. So you can win all of that by going to Chelsea's written review of Paranorman on the website. So just go to therotoscopers.com backslash reviews. And if you leave a comment down at the bottom, just anything, maybe saying your favorite character, if you've seen the movie or if you haven't seen the movie, just say why you're excited to see it and then include your email address and then we will randomly pick a winner on September 1st. So you have till August 31st to enter. So everyone go enter and good luck to the winners. And like we said on this fantastic bonus episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about our mailbag and what you guys have been thinking of the podcast. Hey, our first email is from Lewis Escobar. Lewis is awesome. I've been following him for a few years. He works at The Simpsons. So obviously, you all know, we love The Simpsons. We do. So I've been following him, and he, you know, recently he's put out a whole lot of different things on how a Simpsons episode is made. So I would really recommend you guys checking that out. You can find his stuff at LuisEscobarBlog.com. These things that he's putting out are really cool. If you've ever wondered how a Simpsons episode, or really any cartoon episode is made, you can head on over there and check it out. It's very interesting. And he says, hi, guys. Sorry it took so long to get back to you on what I thought of your show. Been kind of busy. I listened to all the episodes. Well, most all the episodes. Not the ones with spoilers. I'll listen to them once the movies come out and once I watch them. I have to let you know that I really enjoyed listening to all of them. It's actually really impressive how much you guys actually know about all of these things. I found all of your opinions on the movies you talked about really fascinating and a whole lot of fun. I think the thing I like most about your show is the passion you guys have for animation. When I first got into animation, I was just as enthusiastic as you guys were. Listening to you guys is like listening to my friends and I years ago. Unfortunately, after years of working in the industry, you get a bit overloaded with it all. (laughs) I bet. You guys reminded me of how much fun it is to do what we do. It reminded me of why I got into the animation industry to begin with. All too often with the industry, you hear very jaded artists talking about cartoons in less than positive terms. Thank you so much for reminding me of how cool animation is. We often lose sight of that fact from this side of the fence. Keep it the good work. It's great, Lewis. Lewis is awesome. We might be having him on a on some future date, so that would be really fun. Yes. So in the future, we'll be doing the Simpsons movie, obviously, and um, so we're gonna pair that up with an interview with him in the future. So get ready for that. Okay. So our next email comes from Mike. He says, "Hello. Your character design discussion during the Rango podcast, which is episode seven, was very interesting. Namely, franchises over the years. I might not know anything about X Men, but I was equally frustrated when Looney Tunes characters were redesigned for TV." in 2010. I understand a studio wanting to make existing characters fresh, but I can't help but feel that X 
excellent designs were just discarded to make the feel the show feel trendy. After all, these aren't just any characters. Anyways, that's my two cents. Do you guys have any thoughts, Mike? It's actually interesting. Part of Luis's email earlier, he was mentioning kind of his thoughts on the X-Men characters, um, who, which completely disagreed with the, the point that Mason was making. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Mike. Like, sometimes there there's a reason that these characters are so classic and perfect. Although, at the same time, I understand trying to update them for uh, a newer market and give it fresh life. So it's kind of this, like, weird balance. We have our favorites, which are usually the first ones that we grow up with and anything new we we really fight against yeah i mean i don't know if i have any more to say about that just i would prefer looney tune characters the way they are but that's just yeah well we will be going a little bit more into this i'm sure when lewis comes on the show so Mm -hmm. that'll be fun next one this one made me really really happy um this one is from Alyssa, and she says hey guys i just discovered your podcast two weeks ago and it is amazing you guys are so funny and have inspired me to look even more closely at animation and honor the process behind action animating a movie, which I have to admit, I had always taken for granted. I also have a sister with Down syndrome and she is a huge Disney fan who especially loves movies such as Toy Story and Beauty and the Beast. When we were little, she would wake me up at two in the morning to watch Disney movies until my dad would come stumbling in the room at four to put us back to bed. Disney and animation movies have had a major part in my childhood, and I love them so much. And I'm so happy that I found this podcast that also expresses that love. Although I will admit, Beauty and the Beast kind of lost its appeal for me after seeing it for the millionth time at 2 a.m. <laughs> you have also made my boring job working as a lifeguard, waiting for hours for someone to show up and swim a lot more exciting and have made cleaning out the pool toilets a lot more amusing. (laughs) However, you have distracted me a lot from getting my summer homework done. Who cares about AP calculus anyway? Thank you again for creating this amazing podcast and I can't wait until the next episode comes out. Love from Alyssa. Thanks so much, Alyssa. I first read that when we were at Destination D and it really just warmed my heart. I was like, yay. (laughs) It was fun. I can definitely relate to you on all those 2 a.m. movie marathons. And disclaimer, we we have no hand or legal obligation if someone fails an AP class because they're listening to too much of the rotoscoper. That is that is your problem, not ours. But I'm sure you're you're gonna do fine. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have no responsibility for that. Do not sue us, jeez. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to sue us. We don't have any money. <laughs> Donate button. Yeah. Okay, so next one's from Shelby. The subject is Tangled slash Anastasia Similarity. Hey, Roscopers, I recently started listening to your podcast thanks to Hypable.com. I listened to your Anastasia episode and then went directly to the Tangled episode. Both are two of my favorite animated films. In the Tangled episode, Mason mentions Rapunzel's epic finale move once she is finally free from the tower. While the similarity to The Hunchback of Notre Dame was noted, I think there's also another similarity, Anastasia. I'll break it down. Both girls are hoping for a way to get to their goal. One to find her family, one to see the lights. They find a way to get to that goal. One gets a dog, the other an outlaw. They sing a song explaining how they feel about it, what they hope for. At the end of the song, they do the same finale move, albeit slightly off since one had a hat in hand and was surrounded by snow. Oh, that's true. She's talking about the part where they're, uh, they have their arms stretched up to the sky and then there's usually the camera like pivoting around them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was an interesting similarity that Disney, that wasn't a Disney one. Great job on the show. I really love it and I'm glad to find it and that I'm not the only adult in love with animated films. 
Thanks. And I never, it's funny because we'll get emails about these, about different similarities between animated films and be, in between each other. How, I mean, really, I guess there's only a few ways to tell a story and it's just telling them with different characters and scenarios. Uh, another one that was brought to our attention is the similarity between Surf's Up and Cars. So if you think about that and different characters and who is who, like, for example, Chicken Joe is very much a Mater character, uh, you, you definitely start thinking about different storylines. This next one is from Olivia, and she writes, Hello, Rotoscopers. I discovered your show through a link posted on Hypable, and I am so glad that I did. As an avid podcast listener, I have found a plethora of podcasts geared toward my books and political interests. But it was a pleasant surprise to find one that discussed something I love so much animation. As a 19-year-old girl, I find no greater pleasure than sitting down to watch an animated movie, and it's so nice to know that there are more people out there like me. Thank you for your amazing show. Keep it up. Also, I would love it if you would have Frankie Franco III, or Frack, as we know him from Pottercast, on your show. Recently on Pottercast, a popular Harry Potter podcast, it has been mentioned that Frack works at DreamWorks, and he is an incredibly talented artist. It might be interesting to have a perspective from someone who works at that major studio. Just a thought. Love you all. Olivia. From Miami, Florida. Perfect. So I'm uh, actually one of the first podcasts I ever listened to was Pottercast. So I started listening to Pottercast, then I got into other podcasts, Mucklecast, whatnot. So I am very familiar with who Frankie Franco the Third is. That's actually a really good idea. I remember when he first finally was able to announce what his project was, which is the Rise of the Guardians. So thanks, Olivia. That's actually a really good idea. We'll have to reach out to him and hopefully get him on the show, get him talking about it. Because yeah, he's he's a really awesome guy. So, everyone, those are just a sample of some of the mail that we have. We still have more in the mailbag that we'll read next episode. But thank you for writing in and letting us know your thoughts and what you feel about. You know, it's great to, you know, like that Tangled and Anastasia similarity and, you know, just the different things that people email us about. It's great to, to hear your thoughts on it. And we love we love getting emails and we love hearing your, your opinions on the animated films. Because like a lot of these people said, I just didn't know there were people like me who loved animation. And yes, there are and and we are some of them and we're your friends and you're our friends and we can just talk about animation all day every day but (laughs) yeah It's like we're just gonna all sing Kumbaya. Oh, friends! I'm or no, it's the Barney song. Like I love you, you love me. I'd rather just sit around and watch an animated movie with these people. But uh, you want to sing the Barney song? That's cool, Chelsea. (laughs) So thank you so much for your support. Again, you can find us everywhere on the web. We're therotoscopers.com, Rotoscopers on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, everywhere. We'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes. It helps share the word about the podcast, just like all these people have found us through Hypable. People just, you know, typing in animation podcast or animation on iTunes will be able to find our lovely show if we get more reviews. And who doesn't want to spread the word about animation? Again, just a reminder that we are sponsored by Audible.com, the world's leading provider of audiobooks. So if you're interested in animation, you can get a free book about animation. You can listen to it. Maybe once all you've listened to all of our episodes and you have nothing else to do, you can go and you can get a free book. It's a one-month trial. And all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com backslash the rotoscopers 
Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash the rotoscopers and you can get your free audiobook. So that's one way to really support the podcast and to help us so we can continue to go to things like Destination D and, and keep the website up because it'd be really sad if the website just disappeared one day because there was no funds coming in. So thanks everyone who has done that. There's also a donate button on the website. Just it's on the right side. Just go and you can click a dollar, two dollars, five dollars. Uh, if someone has tons and tons of money and nothing to do with it, hundred dollars. Hey, that's great. So thank you so much for those who have donated and supported the podcast. Thanks for everyone's kind words. We love animation. We know you love animation. So it's big, happy family. Until next time, we We are are the the Rotoscopers. Thank you for being on the show. Are you there? I don't think he's there. I don't think he's there either. Chelsea? Hello. Sorry, I'm here. Uh, we dropped him again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's full. Hmm. Dropped him again. again? Yeah. Very cool. Sorry, I thought thought it would cut out again. No, 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 we're still here. Mm -hmm. Next one. Subject, your incredible show, smiley face. I would love it if you would have a Frankie Franco 3, or Frack, as we know him. I think I'd said frankie franco three. Oh, yeah i know <laughs> frankie franco three <laughs> i was like wait i definitely did not say the third okay what did i say i don't know <laughs>